0: Church, good morning. It's great, thank you. It's always nice to be back. Um, Torrin and I were just realizing that the first time I ever preached here at TLC was May of 2018. So raise your hand if you've been here that long. May of 2018. Okay, nice. Not yet, Torrin's been here that long. That's good. Um, but yeah, so it's always great to be with you, always great to be back in sunny Michigan, you know. Thank you all so much for that, for the weather, it's been lovely. Um, I'm really excited about, uh, just a side note, I'm really excited about the... Oh, by the way, I'm Aaron, by the way. <laughs> You're like, I have no idea who you are. Um, I. I live in Washington, D.C., as Torin said, and I'm on the teaching team here, and I come up a few times a year. And I'm really excited about what you guys are doing with the foster care ministry and, and praying for foster families. So I just became a foster parent um, just about two months ago. Yeah, thank you. I have a four-month-old uh, little girl that uh, is with me right now. And so if you see me, like, tipping over, it's a little like she's going through a sleep, sleep regression situation. It's real. It's real. Sleep deprivation is real. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I've been learning a lot about foster care, obviously, as a foster mom, as a single mom. So, I, so it's just the two of us. And that's a whole other challenging situation. If you're a single mom here, like the Lord is with you. Um, he goes before you. But actually, I had always wanted to be a mom, and I thought that I needed to, to wait. I sort of waited. I thought, I'll just wait till I get married, and then we'll have kids, and blah, blah, blah. And then I was at a church, actually. It was, wasn't my own church. It was another church in D.C., and I was preaching there, much like here, visiting, preaching one of my friend's churches. And they are really involved with foster care in D.C. And so a couple of people got up, and they talked about, what it was like to be a foster parent. And the woman who got up was single. She was in her mid-20s, and she lived with two other roommates, uh, also all single females in their mid-20s, and they were doing foster care. And all of a sudden, it was like... This new idea that I had—that I could actually be a a foster mom—that I could—I had so much love and a a loving place to be, and I could share this with a kid who needed a safe and nurturing place to be for you know temporarily. I could do that even as a single person. So I just want to open that up to your minds, um, if maybe you—that's something you'd love to think about or think about doing with roommates or or whatever. So just want to encourage you to to think about those dreams and those plans that you have. Maybe look a different than the box you thought that they would be in. So we're continuing on in our series on Song of Solomon. And actually, I'm going to land the plane on Song of Solomon, which some of you are probably really excited about. You're like, woo, we're through that book now. Um, So I'm going to land the plane on that. And I'm not going to focus as much on the things that um, Torrin's been focusing on for the last few weeks, which he's excited about. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to be talking as much about that. I'm going to be talking more about love. So there's a lot of the book of Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, that is about love, this concept of love. And I want to talk about how the love that we see in Song of Solomon, particularly in chapter 8, the verses we're going to look at, are really a reflection of divine love, reflection of the love we have in God. So, If you want to turn to chapter 8 in Song of Solomon, we are in chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Perhaps one of the few verses in Song of Solomon you actually maybe already know or had heard somewhere are some of these verses. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Wow. Very romantic, right? It makes me think of Shakespeare, you know? Love is like a red, red rose that's newly sprung in June. You know. Anyway, it reminds me of, um, you know, is this, this very poetic, right? Because we know the Song of Solomon is poetic. It's a poetical book. And so it's building this picture of love that just sounds amazing, doesn't it? But when we take this picture and we take our human experience of love, they don't always match up, right? And maybe even this morning for you, love, the last love relationship you had is actually broken. Maybe the last time that someone loved you in a way that you thought was compared, comparing to this, and they're actually not in your life anymore. So I think when we read these verses, we have to be careful. We have to be careful to remember that it's poetry that it's meant to be a vision of what love can be, a vision of of what human love could look like, but I would contend only with the divine. Only with God inserted in the middle of that relationship. Without God, we're not able to love like this because we're broken, right? Because of human sin, because we're imperfect this side of Jesus' return. We're not actually able to love in this way. But we sometimes set this up and we measure our human relationships by a love that's like this you know, many waters cannot quench love or sweep it away. Um, so I want us to think more about divine love this morning. And I think there's five things we learn about divine love, five images of a vision of what it looks like to, to be in a love relationship with God and for God to love us back. So the first is love is a possession, this, these verses seem to be saying. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. And that was very cultural at the time. That was literally a signet ring that someone might have, or uh, or a seal that they would carry close to their heart from the person they loved. There weren't really wedding rings at the same time then as we have wedding rings now. But it's the same idea. You belonged to the person. You belonged to the person. Now, for some, to think of love as, uh, as being possessed by someone else, that feels like, ooh, that feels, oh, I don't know about that. I want my freedom. I don't want to be possessed by anyone. And we, that's a trend right now in our culture, right, in relationships, open relationships, open marriages, et cetera, that you're not really just committed to one person. But biblical love says, no, you belong to one another. And that actually true flourishing in any relationship, especially in marriage, is about fidelity it is about being with that one person and saying, until death do us part. There's an image here of fidelity, of mutuality. We know you've already looked at that passage in Song of Songs, my beloved is mine and I am his. Let us belong together, the writer seems to be saying. So when we think about possession and we think about God, what does it look like to be in a love relationship with God? What does it look like to follow Jesus. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are actually belonging to God and God is belonging to you. How does that make you feel? For some, that might feel very comforting, the sense of belonging in the family of God, belonging in the Trinity. You've been invited into the community of the Trinity if you're a follower of Jesus. It's a complete community of love, of divine love, and you're invited to be in that group of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as you follow Jesus. It's an incredible invitation to community and to love. But for some, we may misunderstand what it means to belong to God and God to belong to us, our lives to be hidden with Christ in God, because we misunderstand what the love of God looks like. You know, the only time we don't want to be possessed is when we're worried or fearful about the person's intentions that possesses us or the person that we belong to. And I think we've misunderstood then what the love of God looks like. We see love through the brokenness of relationship, not through who God actually is. So if we want to study love in Scripture, where do we go? Any ideas? Where do we go? A book that talks a lot about love in Scripture. 1 John. We go to 1 John. 1 John talks all about, yeah, two points to you in the back. I see you. Um, 1 John. Because 1 John talks all about who God is, that God is love. 1 John four sixteen. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There is no fear in love. God is love. So we learn that the, the whole divine nature of God is love. Can you say that about yourself? Todd is love. Mary is love. That your whole nature, your whole character, everything about you, your DNA, the way, your vibe, your whole vibe is love. Can you say that this morning? I can't say that Aaron is love, because you know, before coffee, Aaron is not love. And you know, probably yesterday on the plane, when our plane was delayed, I was a little annoyed, Aaron was not love. God is love. God's whole nature is love. And you're probably saying to me, Aaron, this is so elementary, I learned this in Sunday school. But if we don't actually understand it, and I don't think we actually do, I don't think in our finite minds we can really comprehend what kind of love 1 John is talking about or what it means that all of God's intentions towards us are loving. All of God's intentions towards you this morning are loving. They're merciful, they're gracious, they're just, but they're also loving because God is love. God cannot not love. Aaron cannot not love. Maybe you're feeling that way this morning, you're more aware this morning about your ability to not love well than you are about to love well. But God cannot love, cannot not love perfectly. You with me? <laughs> just testing you if you had coffee this morning too. God cannot not love perfectly. So we need to take our image of what we have of love and throw it out the window. I want you to just like toss it out. Whatever you picture, whether someone said I love you and they didn't really mean it, or maybe you have a wonderful marriage, wonderful relationship where you do see some of this miracle of love in your own life, someone who's stuck with you through thick and thin. But even that is it pales in comparison to the love of God and what it means that God is love. I remember there was a guy, I used to work at a church in London. I lived in London for seven years and was a pastor there. And we used to run Alpha. We ran Alpha three times a year. We had over 1,000 people coming to Christ. It was amazing. And I remember this one guy named Ben. He was a nightclub owner in, uh, in the middle of London. And his nightclub was actually a really fancy nightclub. It was known for a lot of famous people. Sometimes even the royals came to his nightclub. So he was like the guy, right? He was like the guy. And he came to our Alpha course. And he was super skeptical at the beginning. And then towards the end, he came to know Christ. And so I became friends with Ben. He would come to the service that I led there and we would talk most Sundays and I'd pray for him. And I can remember one day Ben came late to the service and he looked super annoyed. And he came up to me and he said, Aaron, I'm so annoyed. And I was like, okay. And I was like, what are you annoyed about? And he was like, God, all that anyone talks about, you know, I've been a Christian for like four months now and I'm trying to do this Jesus thing. And he said, and all anyone ever talks about is love. Everyone just talks about love. It's like they keep coming back to love, and I'm just like, God, is there anything else to talk about when it comes to God? He's like, tell me that there's something else you know, to this whole thing, you know? And I was like, I can't tell you that, Ben. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't for God so created the world, for God so judged the world. For God so was mad at the world, gave up on the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Love is the core of this whole thing that we're talking about. And First John, when he says in chapter 3, he says, behold. And I know I've told you all about this before, but he says, behold. And that's that word in the Greek. And behold means like, not just like, yo, check this out. But behold is like, stop. Whatever you're doing, look at this thing. So 1 John says, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And there's exclamation points there in the scriptures. Now, if you ever see exclamation points in scriptures, you should always stop and pay attention. If you see exclamation points in my emails, that's like every sentence, so don't worry about that. But in scripture, in fact, it's true. One time, you know the one key is the exclamation point key? It actually wore out on my Mac, it actually did. Um, But in scripture, it's more rare. It really is like, pay attention to this. So 1 John, he says, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. And that phrase, what manner of love is this, what kind of love is this, is actually in the Greek, it means like, Where is this coming from? This love is from a foreign country. I've never seen this kind of love. What manner of love is this? We've never experienced this type of love before, that God would call us his children. This is the kind of love we're talking about. And this is a love where we belong to God. Jesus says in John, he's praying to God before he goes to the cross, and he says, they are mine. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Do you see the I and me and me and them and me and we're, it's the belonging of love when you're in Christ, the belonging of that relationship. Colossians 3 describes it this way: Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You belong to God, but not to constrict your life to set you free and to give you a new life. So love is possession. Secondly, love is permanent. Love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, the writer of Song of Songs says. This passage speaks of the permanency of love. Love is as strong as death. How many of you recently have been bullied by the strong hand of death. Death, like a bully, pushes in uninvited into our lives, wreaking havoc, leaving pain and grief. Some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Death often feels stronger than love in our human experience. But how many of you have also been pursued, captured, held captive by the strong hand of love? the strong hand of God that pursues us. The love of God is stronger than death. Jesus' love overcomes death, literally overcame death, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Again, John says, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Over and over again, we have promises of God that he will not leave us. No matter what we're experiencing, no matter the sense of of death or loss that might be around us, nothing can keep us from the love of God. Jesus' love literally overcame death on the cross, and his love is permanent. Richard Halverson says, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional, impartial, everlasting, infinite, and perfect. This is a love that refuses to let go. Do you know the strong hand of love? There's a hymn that I love called, Oh, Love That Would Not Let Me Go. It says, Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean's depths its flow, may richer, fuller be. O love that will not let me go, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be, that morn shall tearless be. Do you hear the promise in there? I, I chase the rainbow through the rain, I know that God has not left me even when the hand of death feels stronger than the hand of love. So love is permanent. Love is passionate. The writer says, it's flashes or flashes of fire, a most vehement flame. We know that Song of Solomon doesn't actually speak directly to God. It doesn't mention the name of God. But this is the only place that some translators think God is actually showing up. They translate a flame as a flame of Yahweh himself, the very flame of Jehovah, it says in the Hebrew. The meaning here could be that love is a flame whose origin is from God. Love comes from God, 1 John tells us. Love is passionate, it's risky. Biblical divine love is passionate. God is not half-hearted in his love towards you. He's not like, well, I'll love you today and then tomorrow I'm not sure but we've all experienced that in human love, right? We've all experienced the person who doesn't seem like they even like us anymore that you might be in relationship with or in marriage with. But God's love is passionate, it's unending, it's risky, it's never half-hearted. And we're invited to love God in that same way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Do everything unto the Lord. And any kind of love that you're gonna have It needs to be passionate, right? It needs to be passionate. But we know that human passion dies away. But God's passion for us never does. And so it involves risk. To keep loving someone well when they're not loving you well is risky, right? So we often pull into ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to pull back from my passionate love for this person or this family member or this friend. We pull back into ourselves because we say, I'm not receiving what I thought I would from this love relationship. C.S. Lewis in his great book, The Four Loves, talks about these different words and different types of love in the Greek. And he says this, there's no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal, (laughs) which I love because He's English, and the British really love their dogs, so like, that's what he's talking about. Um, wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will be unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. All right, Lewis. All right. (laughs) What he's saying is love is risky. And in fact, biblical love is risky. It's sacrificial. But this is what God himself has modeled to us. This is what love looks like. Divine love is our source and our model for human love. What are you passionately devoted to this morning? If someone were to come up to you and maybe that mixer question and say, what's your passion? What are you passionately devoted to? And I would suggest it's something you're giving a lot of your money to right now or your time or your mind or your Google searches. What are you passionately into right now? And I would say that's something that you love. Is God on that list? Is your relationship with God on that list of passions? Because you're on God's list. When you look at the list of things God is passionately loving right now and sacrificing for, it's you at the top of that list. Are we feeding our love for God? Are we feeding that passion? So love is possession. It's permanent. It's passionate. Yes, these are all going to be peas. Love is persevering is the next one. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Love will persevere. We've already talked about how it's permanent, but persevering is a slightly different idea that no matter what comes against it, it will actually thrive. It will actually grow. Have you had that experience of being in a relationship with someone and you went through something difficult and you thought, this is going to break us. This is going to break us, and actually, it made you stronger. Persevering love is a love that says, I will be there for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. This is a different type of love. This morning, we had a word in our prayer service before uh, before everyone came in. We were praying, and someone was saying that they'd been struck by this idea of water and rain and water kind of coming down and, and feeling like, um, yeah, like pain, like difficult things that you're going through kind of coming into your life, and that God is still there even in the midst of the rain. And I was thinking about that with this verse, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And in scripture, there's a lot of juxtaposition between water and fire water and fire water cannot you know quench the fire etc and i was thinking i think there's some folks this morning where this rain that we have outside is a bit of a symbol for your life right now you feel like all you feel is the rain and maybe the question how much rain is too much rain a little bit is too much (laughs) right now you're like a little bit's too much but i'm kind of being flooded right now in my life and i sense that god wants to say this morning remind you that no matter what rain comes into your life that Love is stronger than that. Many floods cannot quench love. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I also get a sense that someone this morning that rain is actually, is actually injustice. For you, maybe you're someone who experiences that systemic injustice that we have in our country and have had for for hundreds of years now, and it's something that you're so discouraged by. I have lots of friends I'm talking to so broken by, feeling like this rain, it's a flood that keeps coming, and when when will the flood of justice, as Martin Luther King said, when will it rain down on us? When will that rain come? And I just sense that God is saying that he is still with you, even in the midst of the rain, even in the midst of a system that you're powerless, you feel powerless to change that is often against you, that God is still there. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, even when that injustice comes from the hands of those who say they love God. God is still with you. Biblical love is sacrifice. How do we know this? Well, thank goodness First John told us what love is. You know, Tina Turner, it's my favorite song. I'm dating myself now. Uh, don't worry, I'm not gonna sing. But you know, what's love got to do with it? This is a question everyone asks, generations have asked. What is love? 1 John tells us, thank goodness, this is how we know what love is. Well, great. Thank you for defining it, John. He says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, this is love, again, defining it for us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and laid down and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So love in scripture is sacrificial, but that goes against a bit of our idea of what love is today. When we say I love you to someone, it usually means... I'm digging you, you know? I've got like googly feelings for you, you know? Like I like you, and I think you're pretty great, and there's lots of positive vibes happening. That's I love you in a typical worldly sense. But when scripture says love, it means sacrifice. Have you ever thought about that phrase, that command actually, love your enemies? Well, how are you going to love your enemies? You're not going to have googly feelings for your enemies, right? You got no positive vibes for your enemies. So like what does it mean to love your enemies? Well, it's because love in Scripture, as we see here in 1 John, is always sacrificial. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's always sacrificial. Love in Scripture is not about feelings, it's about behavior. It's not about feelings, it's about action. So love your enemies means serve your enemies. Be willing to sacrifice for your enemies. Be willing to give up something of yourself for your enemies. When we're commanded to continue to love one another and that verse in John says, let us love one another, it's continuous. And don't we know it? The command, the need to keep loving is, oh, oh, it keeps going and going and going, especially in relationships. And so that divine love, that ability to sacrifice has to come from God, right? We don't have it. I mean, I'm an extrovert. You know, I wake up in the morning, post-coffee, and I'm like, where are the peoples? Bring me the peoples. Um, But even I have a tank of love that runs out eventually, we need divine love. That sacrificial ability to love, even for people who don't love us back, can only come from God. So, love is persevering. Love is priceless. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly scorned. And this is a kind of a hilarious image, right? Like someone walks up to your door at your house, and they're like, they knock on the door, and they go, "How much? Uh, how much I give you for your husband?" You know. <laughs> It's like, it's like someone comes and offers you money for the people that you love for your relationships. Now, some of you are going, hey, that's actually an interesting idea. Um, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's meant to be hyperbole, right? Like, how much will someone pay you for the person you love? But it does actually, it does actually touch on something I think we believe about love in our society today, which is that it can be bought, it can be earned. We think of love as a bargain, you know, maybe you're, you're single and you're, like, looking around and you're, you know, you've seen some ladies out there and you're like, well, okay, yeah, she's, you know, she's good looking and let's see, you know, I think she might bake and I don't know, she's kind of sporty and, you know, these different things. And it looks like maybe, like, I'll get a little bit more from it than I'll maybe have to give, so that feels like a good good idea, you know, good bargain. And we think about love a bit like a bargain. We even think about this in marriage, you know, we make vows and then we say, well, and then the, we feel the person is pulling away from their vows, so we pull back. We go, oh, well, if you're not keeping your end, I'm not keeping my end of this bargain. And we think of love like a bargain, not like a sacrifice that we're called to. And we do this with God too. We say, God, okay, I'll follow you. I'll follow you if I stay healthy, if the people I love stay healthy. I'll follow you if you know I can understand everything about you and all the theology is clear and makes perfect sense and fits into my box. I'll follow you if my finances are what I need them to be, if I keep my job. And maybe I'll, you know, I'll even like come to church, you know, if you give me all, the, all my dreams and I get to be married and have all my fulfillment in my career and all that. We even bargain. It's subtle. But I think if you think about it, I even know these places I do this with God, you know, and I'm a pastor. <gasps> it's subtle. It creeps into our hearts. It creeps into the way we relate to God because it creeps into the way that we relate with in human love. But God's love is sacrificial. God's love is called to be love that we that we give away, that we sacrifice for it, and that we leave that bargain at the door. In the message version of this verse, it says, love can't be bought, love can't be sold. It's not to be found in the marketplace. And the encouragement, again, from John is to love sacrificially. Let us continue to love one another. And he was talking to a church that was divided. They did not have a lot of love for one another at the time. But he's encouraging them, let us love one another. Love is priceless. I've learned this idea recently through some, uh, some folks I've met who are part of the persecuted church. So we've been looking at the persecuted church at my, at my own home church. And if you've ever spent much time thinking about persecuted Christians around the world, one in four Christians in the world are persecuted. And not persecuted in the way we talk about in America sometimes, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, this certain law happened or something. But we're talking about they can't get to church. You know, you and I got in the car, maybe went by Starbucks, drove to church, sat here. No one's watching us on surveillance. The government's not following us home. No one's keeping us from singing these amazing worship songs. No one's arresting me for reading scripture and talking about the gospel. That's persecution, and one in four Christians around the world are persecuted. I've learned so much about what it looks like to sacrifice for love and what it looks like to sacrifice for Christ through learning about the stories of persecuted Christians. So I want you to listen to this story of one. Her name is Helen Barhani. She's Eritrean, and she's a gospel singer. And she was arrested for sharing the gospel in a public place in Eritrea. And she was put it into a shipping container. She was in a shipping container for a couple of years with some other Christians. There was no light. It was cold at night, hot in the day, no toilet. And she kept worshiping and she kept preaching the gospel, even to her guards. This is a bit of her story.
1: We have no toilet, we have no nothing. We sleep on the floor, and I'm hungry to tell people about the gospel. The word of God, he has power. So I say, God help me, give me word. So all the time I'm writing four, five letters every day for prisoners. I have been for two years now, they ask me, Helen, what is the Bible? So I told them, I have no Bible. So how, how you remember this? You have been for two years, but you, you write like this. So how you remember this? So I told them, it's in my mind. In your mind? So they start beating me a lot in my head and long beating. So after a word, he says, just go to the container. He kicked me. I stay the whole night. It's bloody pain. Early in the morning, they came again. But now we must stop teaching guards. I told him, no, if somebody came around my container, I'm preaching. I can't stop preaching. So he started taking this um, stick. When he beat you with this stick, you feel the whole your body fire. They know where is the nerves. So my body starts shaking by, by itself. Helen, you must stop preaching God. So just I kept silent, his eyes red, and yeah, he beat me countless. Now it's the, the last one because I have no energy, I know. So just I start preparing myself to die so uh, at last he's totally exhausted so just i look at him yeah you did your job also i'm doing my job so they took me to other container the worst container it's dark i can't see anything just i'm standing and then um, <laughs> start singing just doesn't matter, God gave me a new song. So just I'm singing the whole night. All the prisoners can hear, thank you for everything God. The bad toilet, cold, hot, everything. Because I, I love to worship him, he's my father. After the last torture, I stay for eight months But my situation, just I'm very sick. They don't have enough medicine. They think I'm dying. They don't want you to die inside the prison. They don't want to take this kind of responsibility, so they send me home. But always security around me. I ask God, please, I need to leave this country. I stay for 10 months treatment. Within one month, the Danish government accepted me. I'm, I'm start sing and write my own song.
0: Wow, amazing, right? Do you know this love of God that could keep you sustained and worshiping God and preaching to guards in the midst of such suffering? That's my prayer for us. We love because He first loved us. May we understand afresh the love of God this morning that is permanent, that possesses us, that perseveres, that's powerful, that's priceless. Let's stand. I want to stand and pray for us. This was Paul's prayer in Ephesians for the church, and I want to start here. But Let's take a moment, just of the quiet of our hearts, close your eyes, just... Take a deep breath. That was a big story. <sighs> Take a moment of quiet. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what what do you want me to know about your love this morning? Where are you showing up in love to me this morning? And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. God, we long to be filled to the fullness with your divine love. We know that it's different than the type of love that we can hand out from our human nature. We know, God, you're the source of all love, all perfect, unconditional. And we pray, Father, that you would fill us with that love for one another. We think of the places and the people in our lives that are hard to love right now. We ask for your grace in those relationships. We think of the places, Father, where we feel alone and isolated, where we feel that we are not loved. And we ask, God, that you would sweep in again with your light into those dark places. Would you show us again where you're present, even in the hardest corners of our lives? We thank you, Father, that you have given us this amazing ability to love outside of ourselves. And we pray that as we've experienced your love, we might be those who give it away. We might be those who can only preach and sing in moments of suffering, and we might be those who give away this forgiveness and grace and mercy that you've shown us to others. We thank you, Father, that we love because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.